when it comes to scary and intrusive thoughts and kind of that downward spiral is, again, really keeping those things to ourselves. Oftentimes I see if a mom or someone who's struggling with something like that just opens up about it and talks about it again with a safe person, there is like this immediate sigh of relief that takes place. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today I'm talking to Dr. Alice Pickering, a perinatal mental health specialist. It's estimated that one in seven women struggle with depression or anxiety during pregnancy or postpartum. So if this was you, you're not alone. We talk about how for most women, these struggles are temporary and with the right help, there's light on the other side. I hope you enjoy. All right, Alice, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk about all of the things today, mental health and motherhood. Yeah, and those two things, man, (laughs) often at conflict with each other. Oh, my goodness. No kidding. All day, (laughs) every day. (laughs) Why don't you start by introducing yourself and just giving us a little bit of information on your area of expertise and who you work with? I am Dr. Alice Pickering, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist here in Arizona, and I primarily work, I I own a private practice. It's at the time, exclusively telehealth. But I work with a lot of individuals who struggle with anxiety and depression or um, trauma histories. But predominantly, the population that I serve are moms, usually first-time moms or moms with little children. And I work with them either during pregnancy and or postpartum. And usually, they're struggling with adjusting to motherhood, um, understanding what the heck is happening to them and maybe why they're having an extra challenging time adjusting to the role of being a mom or whether that's first time mom or second or third time mom. And yeah, so I I do individual therapy and occasionally I run some support groups and yeah, so it's, that's what I do. And I, I, I now see clients in various states. And so that's been pretty cool to expand my reach as the licensure permits. And so that's been really fun. It's definitely a much needed help in this period of your life, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. just, I think when you, and then when you tack on any sort of trauma that happened previous to pregnancy or postpartum, like then Mm -hmm. there's just a whole lot more to unpack. Absolutely. Do you have any advice or thoughts or tools that you can help people with for managing pregnancy? I don't want to say stress-free, but stress-free, but reducing anxiety and stress for those that have experienced loss previous to their current pregnancy? One of the biggest things that I can recommend around loss and maybe perhaps struggles with infertility and sometimes the anxiety that carries into pregnancy as a result of that and and the fears of 
maintaining or sustaining the pregnancy, that, that can just be so hard to manage. One of the, the biggest things is support. Oftentimes, I think we we undermine the importance of support and really seeking help and just having those emotional needs met from those that we can trust, whether that's perhaps a friend that's gone through something similar, uh, whether that's a support group, if for whatever reason you don't have anybody around who is seeming to understand. I think the one of the most important things is to just be validated in that experience to know that you're not alone in that. And I think really leaning on supports from those around, whether again, like professional therapeutic support, if it's a support group, if it's a loved one, a family member or a friend, really just opening up about that experience and not staying in isolation about that. And I think oftentimes when a mom can get in touch and feel connected to other women who perhaps have experienced similar struggles, it helps to alleviate so much of that anxiety to just hear how maybe another mom navigated that, or maybe she went through it a few years ago and she can offer certain insights into what's helped her. I think it's really reaching out for support is such an underutilized resource. And it's, it can be hard when the experience can feel so isolating but really, that's, I think, one of the biggest in ways that I would encourage a mom is to not keep that, you know, to herself and keep those thoughts and feelings and emotions bottled up inside. I think that perpetuates anxiety. Yeah, I totally agree. And for like, do you have thoughts or things that people who have not experienced loss can still be supportive to their friends. So let's say I reach out to my friend because I just had a miscarriage, but she didn't have a miscarriage. What could she say to me that would be because I I had I dealt with infertility and with a whole host of shenanigans and at that point none of my friends had and but I still had very supportive friends that were able to say the right thing. So do you have a what not to say and things that can sound supportive? <laughs> Yes, gosh, that's such a great question. I think at the end of the, the day, right, I think there is certainly a fear of what I've also seen happen is friends who just don't reach out to perhaps a friend that is struggling with infertility or maybe multiple miscarriages or however that journey looks for that specific friend. So what happens is out of that fear of not wanting to say the wrong thing, um, it's actually not helpful, right? It's almost, it's knowing your friend enough and having that level of friendship that you can reach out and simply just let her know, I'm here for you. I may not completely understand what it is that you're going through, but I just want you to, to know that I am a safe space for you. Whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, whatever struggles you're going through, I'm here for you. And simply just communicating that and continuing to show up and check in with that friend can be so meaningful. I think another thing that can be so helpful is I know when baby showers come up or birthday parties and all these things. And when you're in a season of hardship and struggle and challenge, it can be so hard to sometimes show up for that friend. When I think 
One of the biggest things that friend can do is to not take that personally. I think it's being able to meet your friend with empathy um, and understanding and again, continuing to show up for her in that season of life and really not personalizing her decision to perhaps not attend your baby shower or not attend the birthday party. And if she is, right, I think the other thing that sometimes does more harm than good is walking on eggshells around that person feeling, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, I can't be my friend or I can't be myself. And I have to be cautious about every single little thing that I say. And I I can't enjoy myself at my baby shower because I'm worried about my friend. And it's that also almost in and of itself is doing your friend a disservice who just so desperately wants to be there and be supportive as she can. Gosh, it's a hard and difficult dynamic for sure. But I do think that if the friendship is strong, it's something that you guys can go through together. Absolutely. I also find that these sorts of things and events in life, like, can make friendships too. Like I found so many like deep connections with people ultimately who have experienced this after after I did because it was something that we we both shared and we understood what that actually meant for our sanity and our experiences. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Now, we are going to get into because I want to go into intrusive thoughts like in motherhood, but I think like it starts to show up in pregnancy, especially when you've experienced loss before, but it also could show up, period, just because pregnancy is scary. Everything is out of your control. There's just a baby growing inside of you, and you have to hope that everything is doing its thing. That's It is so out of your right. control. So it's so easy to spin out and be like, you see something on the news like about X or like you hear about a stillborn, you hear about a miscarriage, and then it's just so easy to go down the rabbit hole of like the worst is going to happen. So do you have tips for kind of stopping those in their tracks? (laughs) So here's another thing that I see often too, when it comes to scary and intrusive thoughts and kind of that downward spiral is again, really keeping those things to ourselves. Oftentimes I see if a mom or someone who's struggling with something like that just opens up about it and talks about it again with a safe person. There is like this immediate sigh of relief that takes place. That's just, oh my gosh, I've been holding this and keeping this into myself for so long. Wow, what a relief to just let it out and to share it with somebody. I also think when it comes to anxiety, there's a tendency to focus on so many things that are beyond our control. And I think just the gentle nudge of turning our, our our sense of control into into focusing on, okay, what can I actually control in this circumstance and in this situation? And are these things that I'm worrying about, is there anything that I could really do about these things that are coming up for me? And if not, how can I come to a place where I can learn to let some of these things go and focus on those things that are within my purview or within my line of sight that I can manage and adjust and control, so to speak. And so I also find just that gentle shift of, okay, how is this thought helping me? Is it helping me? And if it's not helping me, what can I do instead? And how can I make that gentle shift or that gentle nudge to focus on the things that are within my control? 
We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying to conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips, and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the App Store or go to Juna.co. Again, that's Juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. I'm just going to play that one out for a practical tool's sake. So let's say I am 20 weeks pregnant and I am getting ready for my, it's not the nuchal, it's the whatever, the anatomy scan. And I'm just yes. spinning out about whatever can go wrong in that scan or whatever I, information I can find out about kind of saying, okay, what is in my control with this? Okay, I can control the things that I eat. I can control the things that I can control how I sleep, at least to a certain extent. I can. Right. Like I, And then I cannot control whether my baby has something wrong with it. And so I guess then it's, then how do you let that go? Is there something I can say? Yes. Mm-hmm. There is this thing that we in psychology termed kind of radical acceptance, and it's choosing to accept the unknowns and choosing to to say, okay, this is beyond me, beyond what I'm capable of doing. I've done everything that I can. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And again, shifting that focus to those gentle nudges of I'm this is what I'm doing this is what I have done and the rest is it's not up to me and that can feel like such a vulnerable place to be in and that's when I think reaching out for for help or support or your loving partner or spouse perhaps a family member I think even utilizing deep breathing exercises to bring back that level of even keel and not being in that aroused state. I think oftentimes when we're thinking about these worst case scenarios and questioning the what ifs, our bodies are entering the state of arousal. And when that happens, it's difficult to access that rational thinking and stepping back and being able to to practice some of that radical acceptance and, and saying, okay, yep, I've done all of the things that I can. And so deep breathing really helps with that grounding skills, identifying something in the room that's blue or green. This is in the moment when the anxiety is maybe getting the best of you. Perhaps you're sitting in that doctor's office and and your mind is just spiraling and you need to, to focus on the present, on the here and now. Again, right, focusing on those things that you can control. I mean, one of the things that kind of pulls us out of that state of entering arousal is being able to, to, to look around the room and say, okay, uh, I'm going to pick five things in this room that are 
uh, red and you look around the room and now you're suddenly bringing yourself to that present moment and you're not allowing those thoughts to spiral and to get the worst of you. So yeah, that's like an in the moment strategy that could be used. And, and then again, getting to the point where we can find that sense of peace. And I think that that journey looks differently for everybody, right? Getting to that place where we can rest in knowing that we're doing everything that we can. I love that's like a great tool. I will be implementing that into my own life. <laughs> I share that with clients often and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, when I actually try this, it's so helpful because it draws us or it brings us into our immediate awareness, into our immediate environment, with, which oftentimes is a non-threatening environment when we think about it to, to some extent, perhaps, or maybe you're in your couch and you're on your in your living room and you're finding that you're just spiraling down these horrific thoughts that are just when you're questioning am am I can I be doing more is there something else that I can do and it gets to a point where it just becomes so self-defeating I think in those moments it can be so beneficial to again just bring yourself to the present moment and identify that those things around you in your environment just okay, yep, there is a green plant in my room and there is a green plate in the kitchen right next to me or right and and really focusing on those little things to, to bring us back to that present moment. We are seeing it more and more and even just with my friends, but it feels like there's a lot of traumatic birth experiences or, and and that might even be like an overstatement, but birth not going as planned or as hoped or just not having had the experience that they had imagined. And so do you have any thoughts on how we can help moms manage that? This is one, too, that I can speak to a little more personally and being that my birth experience with my first daughter was, in in my perception and in my eyes, it was traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things is to, we so often find that we're comparing birth experiences. And I think that just does such a disservice to us and to those around us when we do head down that road of comparison and suddenly we're undermining our birth experiences or minimizing our birth experiences because we're using language that says mine wasn't that bad and um, it could have been so much worse or I shouldn't be feeling this way because gosh my friend experienced this and oh, it's just so much worse than me. And and so when that happens, we're invalidating so much of our own experience. But the thing about trauma is not so much about the event that took place, but instead how we experienced that event. We're all going to experience events in our lives in different ways. And it, it's the way that we perceive that event. It's the way that we internalize that and the the experiences that accompany that and, and maybe feeling unheard and helpless, right? Like these emotions and these experiences that come up. And so I think comparing our birth stories is doing all of us a disservice. I think it's um, leaning into to our own experiences and, and taking them 
and, and processing them for the way that we experience them. Mm-hmm. And so I know for me, what I said was going through this personally, there were certain things about my birth that certainly were traumatic for me and, and maybe for somebody else they weren't. But for the longest time, I had such a hard time being at peace with my birth experience because I did. I used those things that were statements that said, gosh, it it could have been way worse. And overall, like my baby was relatively healthy. There wasn't anything that was so extreme, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's alive today. And really, again, just like going down that those thoughts of minimizing our own experiences. One of the biggest things I think is to not compare that experience. And another thing is really forgiving ourselves in that process. I think there's the tendency to take on so much of that responsibility and to put that blame on ourselves. Again, like I could have done something more. I should have been more prepared. I right, like all of these should statements that come up. And when we're finding that we're going down that route, I think it's practicing just gratitude and self acceptance and saying, this was my experience and it was very real to me and validating our own experiences in that regard. I I like I love how you point out that like everyone's experience to an event is going to be different and I relate to that my first birth experience was just like so civilized and my second birth experience like for everyone looking on the outside they would say totally fine and what do you mean that was another civilized experience but like I had planned on getting an epidural and I ended up getting the epidural you know I think 20 minutes before my daughter came out. And so when she came out, the entire experience was so fast. It was so rapid. I felt everything. And I remember telling telling like the story of her birth to people like that was my way of processing it I was just I just kept saying it was just so traumatic like I just didn't expect it I like it, all of a sudden she was just coming out and the doctors right. <laughs> like the nurses are telling me to hold her in and there's no holding her in and I just found myself needing to tell the story over and over and like looking back at it my, my husband was probably oh my god if I have to hear the story one more time <laughs> but it was just like that was how I processed the whole thing I just needed to keep telling it (laughs) and I think yes yes and it's okay to keep telling that story I do think again obviously doing so in the context with somebody safe somebody that's supportive Mm -hmm. um somebody who is willing and able to listen and, and to hear that and that's where I think sometimes therapy can be really effective too and just talking through some of those things and processing the feelings and emotions that came up. And one thing that I want to bring up too is when we're heading down that road of comparison and we're sharing our stories, it's so easy for us again to say like somebody else's birth experience is to not have an epidural and they had to get one and they wish they did everything they could to not get one. Right. And and in your circumstance, it was, oh my gosh, like I, I planned for that epidural and it didn't kick in and I didn't get to experience that. (laughs) And so it's, again, just like that level of our experiences are so individualized. And I think, again, we just do ourselves a disservice when we're comparing our experiences, primarily when it comes to our birth. Those are unique. They're unique and, and individualized experiences. And so it's, I say there really is no room for comparison when it comes to something like that. Are you a breastfeeding mom needing to boost her milk supply or a nursing mom wanting to maintain good milk supply during your pregnancy? 
Well, we are excited to introduce you to Golacta, an all-natural galactagogue and superfood. Many moms and health professionals around the world are calling the miracle supplement. 100% made from nature's own galactagogue, their pure moringa leaves are farmed by Golacta out in the Philippines. Vitamin C, calcium, potassium, and protein. Moringa leaves pull double duty. They're both plant-based superfood and a galactagogue. So both moms and babies will reap the nutritional benefits of the moringa leaves. Added to being an amazing superfood, Golacta is the ideal supplement for nursing moms as it is not only clinically proven safe to use while pregnant, but because of its superfood qualities, it also provides moms and babies the key nutrients they need for healthy living and growth. I wish I knew about this during my breastfeeding journeys, but I'm just glad I get to share this with you today. You can buy yours today from the Golacta website www.golacta.com available in easy to use capsules or in a powder so you can incorporate it into some of our amazing smoothie recipes in the app use code capital gl juna 21 for 15 percent off your first order once again you can order today on their website and use the code GL-JUNA21 for 15% off your order. And just to spin that one out a bit, it's you can't compare your birth in the same way that you can't compare your kids. And not, not your kid from one kid to another. Yes. Of course, you can't do that either. But to other people too. Like some people are just going to have a baby that doesn't cry. And some people are just going to have babies that don't move that much. And <laughs> And again, they're, I yes. think like everyone's baby is going to be different. And so it's so easy to look at your friend's kid and think, oh, that's so easy or that's so wonderful. But that's only going to make your experience harder. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And not something I see often, too. And there's, um, I have a personal story with that, too, in that I remember there was a period of time where I did, I had a close friend and uh, I don't know, from my perception, it just seemed like she had the world's easiest baby. And there were times where I would bring up things to her and it's just, yeah, I just, I can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like my kid is doing this and this, is your kid doing that? And our kids were maybe seven or eight months apart. And she's like, I know, like I didn't really go through that. I don't, and so part of me was like, oh my gosh, you're driving me crazy. I, yeah, I can't talk to you about this because it's not helping me. And so it was yeah. realizing in that moment that I'm like, okay, like we each have our own experiences. It was an attempt to reach out for some support, but it, yeah. it, she just couldn't relate and she was honest about it. And so I'm like, okay, I, I, I need to find a different way to work through this and to process this and talk about it with somebody else or talk about it. Find another friend that has had that experience. (laughs) Or again, like in the context of therapy and bringing up these challenges and these hardships or having that level of validation for my husband for me was huge because he's, yeah, no, this is freaking hard. She just was a very active baby, like from after we dealt with jaundice for an entire like week or two of her life and that was pretty chaotic and stressful and she was mm-hmm. on phototherapy for a while but then after that it was like once she was alert in there 
like she was alert and awake and <laughs> up at odd hours of the night and crying and agitated and like all of these things and it's oh my gosh like I didn't I'm not getting this like beautiful birth experience that I had imagined or this beautiful like postpartum experience and it was part of that was again like aligning or readjusting my own expectations for how I thought things would go and again just allowing myself to be present in those moments and take it all in literally like one minute at a time one one hour at a time just very slow paced in that in those moments but and also again just reaching out for the added support from the people who are able to offer that I, I I deeply relate to an agitated baby. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. those just both of them, all of my kids are like just so active and mm-hmm. it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. It's so exhausting. I, I can relate to that too. <laughs> my second is a little more chill, but oh my gosh, my first, and she's a climber. So mm-hmm. that was like a whole nother added. I'm like, how are you 10 months old and climbing on our dining room tables? I remember for a period of time, I had to put all our chairs away because yep. <laughs> every two seconds she was trying to climb the chairs in the dining room table. And it, it, yeah, it was very just nonstop. So I relate to that sentiment and yeah. some of our friends will not and that's okay. <laughs> I know. My, my third is our climber and it, I have a series of photos on my phone that is that is titled, I turned around for one second and Levi has climbed whatever he could possibly climb. And I'm like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I literally looked away for one second. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now we, I think we covered it. Is there anything that anything else that you would add for intrusive thoughts for postpartum yeah let's talk more about this because I think like they're they are different than they are in pregnancy just because I think that they're much more common in postpartum especially these like deep things like scary things that you think about your kid and I guess it is wrapped up in postpartum anxiety so maybe you can just talk a little bit about what is postpartum anxiety how does that relate to intrusive thoughts and what can we do postpartum anxiety I actually I talk about this at pretty great length I have a workbook called visible motherhood and and it touches on really just mental health for moms throughout pregnancy in that first postpartum year and really understanding what anxiety looks like and what depression looks like and some self-help strategies in there. But anxiety can present itself in in a few ways. That's more generalized anxiety, uh, OCD type related symptoms, and sometimes in the form of panic attacks. And So these are all the different ways that we can experience anxiety uh, during the postpartum time period. And intrusive thoughts is sometimes a symptom of anxiety, sometimes a symptom of depression as well, and sometimes a very common experience, right? It's, we're not alone in experiencing intrusive thoughts, but they're they come up, they creep in, and they really stop us in our tracks. They're usually involving thoughts of harm coming to our baby or to somebody in our family or even to ourselves. And again, the wondering that takes place after that and and questioning, oh my goodness, do I want to harm my baby? Am I actually going to do this? Right? And 
the fear that's accompanied with that. There's just a lot that definitely comes up with intrusive thoughts. But I think one of the biggest things that we can do is to practice gentle self-care with ourselves. It goes such a long way when it comes to managing intrusive thoughts. I, I call this a proactive strategy. There's things that we can do in the moment, but things like sleeping and nourishing our bodies and going on walks maybe or just soaking in some sunlight if that's possible, practicing ways to relax. These are all things that I that I like to call proactive strategies and helping us manage just the day-to-day stressors that come up. And then you've got things like active strategies that you can do in the moment. And I have an acronym that I've come up with that's called BRAVE, right? Like practice being brave in those moments where we are experiencing overwhelm and intrusive thoughts. And being brave, the acronym stands for breathing, releasing, attending and visualizing, and then embracing. And these things when we're doing, when we're practicing being brave, and we're implementing these things in the moment, we find that we, again, decrease that state of arousal that comes up. And we're, we're now in a place of calm and a relaxed state where we can move forward with confidence and and make decisions that align with our values. And we're not coming from a place that just feels like, oh, so overwhelming and chaotic, right? Do you want to just like for the newly postpartum moms, just describe the difference between like postpartum baby blues versus postpartum depression? Hmm. I can get (laughs) up to very great length about this. But (laughs) generally to just touch on the surface is – The baby blues happens, you know, after childbirth, and it usually happens sometime within that first two to three weeks. It can happen right away, or it can develop in that first two to three weeks postpartum. You're not going to experience the baby blues six months down the road or nine months postpartum. It really is, it happens during those those very early weeks and days postpartum and it's often attributed to those really big hormonal shifts that happen after childbirth, right? We, the levels of um, estrogen and progesterone decrease significantly once we deliver the baby and once our placenta is delivered. And sometimes that uh, big fluctuation and those changes that take place can can come up in, in the form of tearfulness and sadness and crying and maybe some anxiousness or irritability, but overall the mood is still pretty pleasant and happy. And the difference between depression is or experiencing symptoms like sadness, feeling empty inside, maybe having a harder time bonding with baby, just a sense of worthlessness or hopelessness that can come in, rage and irritability and anger that may present itself, tearful and crying spells. I can list a bunch of symptoms, but Mm -hmm. one of the the bigger key differences is that, again, the, the symptom onset for postpartum depression can occur anytime during that first year or second year postpartum, where again, with the baby blues, you're not going to find that, oh yeah, I'm experiencing the baby blues and I'm nine months postpartum. Um, 
generally that's your big indicator that if you're finding that you're struggling, you're not experiencing the baby blues if it's later on. And the thing with baby blues too is it just goes away on its own. Like you don't really have to do much. You maybe do those things to take care of yourself and, and nurture yourself in those early weeks and months. And it's okay. It's resolves on its own. And you're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to move on with my life. Mood is generally happy. Postpartum depression, it's oftentimes usually requires some form of support or treatment to really work through the things that are coming up. The symptoms overall look different. The timeline for when it can happen and when it can occur looks different. There are usually a lot of intrusive and scary thoughts that accompany postpartum depression. But the other thing that when we're looking at depression is the symptoms have to last a minimum of two weeks. So the symptoms that I, a few of the ones that I listed off just earlier, they have to be present for a minimum of two weeks. And so if you're finding that you're like a month in and you're still feeling like garbage, pretty much, you're not feeling great, and it's been longer than two weeks, it's been three weeks or four weeks or maybe even three or four months that you've been feeling this way, that's definitely... A, a flag, right? One of those like yellow or red flags that we need to, to look out for and and it's time to get help and support and see what is really going on there. One of the other things I just want to mention because it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that if you are breastfeeding, when you wean, if you wean too fast or even obviously this can happen if you don't wean too fast, but just weaning in general changes your hormones and a lot of times postpartum depression can show up then and I think people don't expect it because they think that they're through it already and so if you wean at six months or eight months or a year whatever it is if you do wean those signs like just that is something that can happen so be on the lookout for it another thing that can happen too is and oftentimes I get moms who come to me for treatment and for therapy and they're maybe nine or ten months postpartum And they're like, I don't know what the heck is happening. Like, I've been fine up until recently, the last month or so. I just, I can't seem to snap out of it. I've been feeling just down in the dumps. I've been uh, really struggling. I have more resentment towards my partner. Maybe all of these different things that kind of come up. And when we look at a few things, I'm like, okay, let's tell me about the last several months, what they've been like. And one of the things that... I think it's important, obviously, for all of us to rule out is, okay, are there any thyroid issues? Is there anything taking place? Because a lot of symptoms of like hypo or hyperthyroidism can mimic depression. And so that's one of the first things from, okay, have you gotten your labs checked? It's generally a Mm -hmm. quick lab draw or a blood draw and they send it to the lab and they test your thyroid levels and your thyroid hormone levels. And that's one of the things that I say, okay, if that's off the table and that's good, let's look at what's next. And sometimes the thing that comes up next is they may have started their uh, menstrual cycle again, our period returns. And that's another thing that can send us into the spiral of just all of these symptoms of, you know, depression or anxiety that can come up. And then one of the other things is perhaps weaning. So it's looking at these different things and in different stages and assessing, okay, where Where's the change? What's contributed to that? And what can we do moving forward? So 
I find that weaning, if a mom is breastfeeding, that's a pretty, can be a, a trigger. And then also perhaps starting their menstrual cycle, which I think a lot of people don't really think about how you've gone months without having a menstrual cycle. And now suddenly your hormones are changing again with that. And, and that's a big shift for our bodies to take in at times. I could literally have a million other questions for you, but I will, in the interest of time, I'm going to ask you one more. And that is, you know, I think like what you, what is really hard to prepare yourself or anyone for is the massive shift in identity when you go from caring about yourself and your partner and maybe your dog or your cat to being a parent for the first time like that is a a life-changing like shift and I think like I guess how do you manage that shift is there anything that you can do to prepare yourself for it and then when you're in the moment like what like I, I yeah do you have any tips for that those identity shifts that take place it's never ending right it's once you become a mom it's oh my gosh there's always something there's right we go through different seasons and at times feeling at peace with ourselves at times questioning everything that we're doing as a parent questioning who the heck am I I used to love spending time with my friends and my family and now I just want to sleep all day every day Mm -hmm. and it's this coming to this place of oh my goodness I don't really recognize who the heck I am anymore and I think sometimes it's a fine line between you're not going to be that same person that you were before you became a parent it's just an un it's a very unrealistic expectation and if that's the expectation it's okay let's look at that expectation and how can we adjust that to meet our current reality, right? Or our current circumstances. And so that I think is important to look at. And if there is that expectation that life is just going to be the same as it was, I I think that lends ourselves to a lot of challenges along the way. And I think it's okay to embrace this new part of who we are. Motherhood, I think forever changes us. I think it's a very big pivotal shift and I think maintaining a level of awareness that life is not going to look exactly how it did before you had a child and it's not going to look that way maybe gradually over time we can get back to a sense of feeling more normal for whatever normal is defined within our own individual context but again to have the expectation that life is just going to pick up where you left off before you had a kid is really doing ourselves a disservice. When it comes to our identities and who we are as a mom, I think that journey, it looks so differently for each and every one of us. I think it's important for us to connect to some old parts of ourselves and to do those things that we've enjoyed at some point or another and to show our kids too that I'm more than mom like I'm human I'm a human being too and in really embracing that and and modeling that for our children I think is is tremendous and it's a healing process for us along the way to do that and I think when we nurture ourselves in a way that feels good for us and makes sense for us we start to settle into that identity of a mom and take shape of that identity for for ourselves and again, not letting those comparisons come in. And while she's a working mom and I'm a stay-at-home mom or 
I'm a working mom and she's a stay-at-home mom. And again, all of these comparisons that come up, it's really finding our own rhythm and doing the things that work for us and the things that we align with as opposed to looking on the outside and trying to do the things that other people are doing. One of the the harder parts about that for me is is like remembering the things that I used to like to do and I'll use an example like I my husband and I used to go to music shows all the time and since having kids it's been five years we have been to one concert and granted I will say that two years of that have now been (laughs) pandemic times so our I would have hoped that maybe we would have gone to a few more but it's interesting because I think like doing the things that you love doing after you become a parent is still so important. Like making time for that or being accepting of the fact that it's not going to look the same. But I know that for both my husband, and this is not just about being a mom, but my husband too, he's, I just haven't, I feel like I work and I'm a parent. And outside of that, I don't have what is my hobby? What are the my interests? Like and Eve Rodsky, the author of Oh my god, why am I blanking in the book? I'm like such a anyway, <laughs> I've interviewed her and it's such a <laughs> mom brain moment. <laughs> yes, mom brain moment. But she talks about having a unicorn space and it's like doing what you love doing and like being able to do that, you know, like at least once a week, but like whether that's like drawing or whatever mm-hmm. it is and I think like that I always I, when I am when I have made time for my unicorn space, I am a much happier person, and I think like that just all wraps up into my identity. And I think it's so easy to get lost in being a mom and you know, just taking demands from your three year old. Like <laughs> she just runs the right. house, and you're like, it, it's so hilarious. But that can erode your confidence as a human being when you're just like being like the demands of my day I have been yelled at for an hour and a half between the hours of 6 a.m and 7 30 by the time I'm starting my day I'm like I have fielded 265 requests and by the way I've only got literally (laughs) exactly yes yes and that's just draining Um, (laughs) so draining or diffusing tantrums Mm -hmm. and like you said it's not even 8 a.m and it's just been nonstop demands and requests I love that I love the term unicorn space I've never heard of that and I absolutely love that I'm absolutely going to be using that moving forward by the way I did remember her book is her her book is the fair play game and it's it's all about like you like basically dividing the the house as if it's a business and but it's I love it and and she basically says these are all the things you need to do and you need to include unicorn space and I I love it too (laughs) yes that's so great when we can honor those parts of ourselves it just connects us to like feeling human again where Mm -hmm. I think what tends to happen is we tend to push aside all of the fun in our life or all of these little things that bring us joy and sacrifice of work and taking care of our kids. And I just, that's not sustainable, right? Who nobody does when the only things on our week to week and day to day are work and parenting. And so it seems so counterintuitive to say, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to take 30 minutes a day, um, 
to, to sit and do something that I enjoy to whatever it is, whether it's drawing or maybe you're writing on your Peloton for 30 minutes or however that looks, right? I think it's so easy for us to, to let go of those things, but those are the things that we need to be holding on to the most. Yes. That's what's going to get us week to week and through our days. Those are the things that fill up our cup. And so I, I do, I see it often where, and I'm guilty of it myself. I've been in seasons where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so burnt out. Why am I so burnt out? And it's holy crap, because all you've been doing is taking care of your children and working and you're yeah. not doing anything fun anymore for yourself. So yeah. I think it's so easy to cut those things, those parts of who we are. And I, I don't know. And it's really easy to do that. But I think I would argue that it's the most important thing to try to keep on our schedules and to make room yeah. for those things. I agree. I agree. It's harder, easier said than done. It gets very hard, but Absolutely. it is, I feel like it's the key to your sanity, happiness, and ability to thrive in motherhood. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a, a client recently who she's a few months, you know, postpartum. She had the opportunity to go on this, this trip to visit some friends. And she was, we were working through some things and she's just like, what mom just leaves her two and a half or three month old baby to go on this trip. And I'm like, you need to go do this trip. Girl, go do that trip. Like like your future self will absolutely thank you. Mm -hmm. And you're going to come back and you're going to feel refreshed and you're going to be vibrant and ready to just jump back into things. And sometimes we need that, but we let certain things hinder us or get in the way of doing those things. I think it's important to, again, look at that and, and ask ourselves, like, okay, why am I doing this? And, you know, what's the purpose here? And when we got to the root of it, it was this perception that others are going to think whatever of her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, you need to go. Right, <laughs> so she did. Right. She went on the Good. trip <laughs> and she loved it and she came back refreshed and it was great. And it was yep. very meaningful experience and connection for her and I'm not we all don't have the opportunity to go on trips and whatnot but I think it's again incorporating just these little things into our week to week and it may not be daily because life as a parent is chaotic and especially life as a parent to little children is Mm -hmm. that's especially chaotic but yeah it is so important to connect with those parts of ourselves in our identity that that continue to propel us and move us forward. Yes. Alice, thank you so much for joining here on the podcast today. I think this was just so valuable. And I know that the moms that are listening will have gotten so much from it. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I know I feel like we could talk about so many different things. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? Yes. So on Instagram, I am Dr. Alice Saidi. That's, you know, DR, my first name, Alice, and then PSYD. I'm in DrAliceSaidi.com. That's where you can find me. And that's where I'm at, just sharing mental health information, encouraging moms, educating them on what the heck may be going on, helping them understand their mental health. And for my private practice, that's postpartum link, and moms can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I I really had a great time. Thank you.
Okay, that's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.